What's going on, y'all? You already know what time it is. It's Sunday, 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 and you are inside the room with Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Now, of course, of course, I, I always start off by thanking each and every one of you for being a part of uh, this amazing journey every single week. You all join me and we're talking about trending issues. We're talking about uh, trends, quite frankly, um, that is not only just in the news, but it's in our homes and our communities, et cetera. Uh, and we're inside the room talking about it. And you all were with us last week and hopefully you tuned in and you enjoyed uh, my dear friend. Um, I had a great conversation with Bilal um, Afalobi and you know, he's, you know, speaking that truth to power on finance and the importance of planning. So hopefully each and every one of you uh, have identified some sort of an organization or company that can help you finance, do some financial planning. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all got to start planning for the future, plan for your children. Uh, so anyway, new week, hopefully you all accomplished something amazing uh, last week and you are gearing up for another amazing week. Uh, this week, I am so honored. Uh, I have inside the room my brother, my friend, my colleague. Uh, he's been inside the room on many occasions, but today we're losing all titles, y'all. All right. Y'all know him as chief of staff there in the state of Connecticut for an amazing governor, Ned Lamont there. But today, Paul is coming in his own right. And we're going to talk a little politics. We're going to talk uh, a little bit on Roe v. Wade. Uh, give, you know, from our perspective, this conversation around Black women and Roe v. Wade. Obviously, obviously, we're not coming from a woman's perspective, which uh, next week, next week, next Sunday, we're, we're going to have Dr. Brittany Yancey. She's going to come on. Uh, she's a woman of color. And we're going to chop it up and we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean from a woman, Black woman's perspective on the subject matter, um, reproductive rights, uh, Roe v. Wade, the overturning of this historic uh, landmark case. Um, so anyway, y'all stay tuned to that. And I also want to respond and reflect on a recent uh, opinion that was uh, published by Van Jones uh, this past week on Thursday. Uh, and it was an opinion basically, you know, talking uh, or responding to like why black voters might be frustrated with the Biden, President Biden, Vice President Harris, Kamala Harris administration, and what he and Vice President uh, Harris can do about it. Uh, so we're going to respond to that. And then also, of course, I can't just leave that out there lingering. We're going to give you some hardcore facts uh, on the Biden-Harris administration, their advances around equity and opportunity for Black people in communities across the country. And then Paul's going to come back. Y'all don't even know, but listen, this man played football. He was a star athlete. I think he's still got a little bit in him, but he's getting a little old. So now he's playing golf, teaching me how to play golf. I do not know how to play golf, but I'll learn one day. So anyway, we're going to have fun today. Hopefully you are either coming home from church like myself. We have eight o'clock service. Shout out to the Citadel of Love and congratulations 
to my dad, Marichal. Yo, congrats on being elevated to becoming the Bishop of the Citadel of Love in uh, the amazing organization called the Pentecostal Churches of Jesus Christ uh, that's led by none other than Bishop Hezekiah Walker. Uh, we're so very proud of you, Dad, uh, and I hope you are listening. He has his own station, so I'm sure he's at the radio station right now. But anyway, special shout out to him. But y'all getting ready for church. If you're not getting ready, you're coming home or you're going to brunch. Some of you little heathens out there don't go to church. I go to brunch. But anyway, we love you. All right. So I want y'all to keep it locked right here on the official FUBU radio. When we return, we will have a great conversation with my friend who's going to be my, you know, my co-host for the day, uh, Paul Mounds. All right. So y'all keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. Hey, what's going on, y'all? And welcome back to Inside the Room with Brandon McGee, where, of course, we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. And if you were with us earlier, uh, right before we went on break, uh, I shared with you, uh, I have my friend, my brother, inside the room today, who's co-hosting with me. Uh, and we're just going to talk a little bit on Roe v. Wade um, and Black women. Uh, and it's just really a primer for next week's conversation with special guests, Brittany Yancey, uh, Dr. Brittany Yancey, who will share with us from a Black woman's perspective, Roe v. Wade uh, and Black women. But this week, as Black men, I just wanted to start the conversation uh, by talking a little bit on sort of like the overturning of Roe v. Wade and its impact on Black women. And I, I thought of, of my wife, uh, my mother, sister, all these folks. I thought of all the women of color uh, who would be or will be disproportionately affected by uh, the decision. Uh, I especially thought of Black uh, women in particular and, and what will happen uh, to many of them in states where uh, abortion would ultimately be prohibited. Um, the right to a safe um, abortion uh, is just one of the many increased health risks uh, from maternal uh, mortality to COVID-19 deaths. Uh, we worry about all of this with respect to Black women. Black women uh, are four times more likely than white women to have, have an abortion many of whom can't afford to support a child. 25.7% of Black women uh, are in poverty. Approximately one-third of Black children under the age of 18 live with single mothers, while only 6.5% of white children do. And, and again, I'm, I'm reading off these facts, and I, I pulled them from the SierraClub.org. Uh, which is a magazine that highlights all different types of subjects. Um, and it was from a particular article entitled Roe v. Wade has higher stakes for Black women. Um, and this is in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision. And, you know, we can't help but wonder what will happen to Black women. Uh, 
So I kind of want to bring in, you know, to the conversation, uh, Paul, again, we're no experts in this. We're really just having uh, a candid conversation inside the room as we prepare for a larger and more deeper in-depth, if you would, conversation with Dr. Brittany Yancey. But in no scripted kind of way, Paul, like, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you and I were talking a little bit uh, before the show, and you mentioned, you know, your thoughts on um, Clarence Thomas and, and sort of uh, this, this ongoing effort for the last, I'd say, 30, 40 years mm -hmm. of, of overturning this Roe v. Wade. Like, well, what, what has happened? What's going on? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to the show again, back in the room. Um, hell of a topic for us to start off on. <laughs> um, but obviously, it's very uh, poignant to the moment and the times of what's going on. Uh, yeah, no, you started off talking about just what does this mean for uh, Black women, uh, our, our, our urban culture, mm -hmm. and our communities. Uh, I know Kaiser Family Foundation has data shown from 2019, uh, the highest percentage of uh, abortions that was done by race was done by uh, Black women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you start to look at what are the economic aspects that, that comes from uh, bringing a child uh, to full birth, or and also take into account uh, some of the other situations uh, that lead to uh, mm. And I know, obviously, we have we're seeing what we're in other states where they have various state laws uh, that are in place that really put limitations on a woman and the doctor to make uh, the appropriate health decision that's uh, best for uh, the woman. Uh, what what the Roe v. Wade decision did as a whole, and I know we've talked about this before the show, was mm -hmm. turn states into individual countries. <laughs> and when you talk about uh, when you read, really read, and I and I highly suggest everyone read some of the, uh, the statements that were made by the justices as part of the concurring statements. But I also say read what Clarence Thomas wrote. What he was basically saying is that this is the only the start. And it's not to start in terms of just dealing with a, a woman right to choose. It was a start in terms of the right of privacy mm -hmm. and really going into the legal precedent that has been longstanding uh, all the way back to the 50s through the Warren Court, through Rehnquist, uh, to this very present, to the Roberts Court uh, up to a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And one of those few examples is obviously both you and I are from Connecticut and Griswold versus Connecticut. It's a perfect example of that's that, right, that's right. where it was based upon a Connecticut state law at the time that stated that um, a man and a woman, a married man and their wife, and it puts limitation on their ability for having contraception. Mm -hmm. Just think about that for a second. And when Clarence Thomas wrote his uh statement after the road uh, after the overturning of Roe, mm -hmm. he spoke explicitly saying that the court needs to look at these various long-standing legal precedents mm -hmm. that have been in place including griswold uh, that really goes into the right of privacy uh, of the individual of married couples goes into um, various levels that many have thought 
have been longstanding legal precedent of the of this nation. So this is only the beginning. It's not only just about uh, the conversation of abortion. Now it becomes a conversation of all the various elements that have been circled around the right of privacy under the United States Constitution and fully uh, supported through the legal process. But when you when you talk about privacy and you talk about Clarence Thomas, um, who is uh, who's been on the bench well over thirty years, would you say? Um, I mean, he was appointed. What is he like seventy four years old? He was appointed by uh, who was he appointed appointed by? Let's see. I need to look that up. Uh, President George Bush, if I'm not, um, and that's G. That's George H.W. Bush, the father. Um, man, I didn't know he was from Montgomery. Okay, Montgomery, Georgia. Uh, but nonetheless, the point that I'm getting at is when you talk about privacy, that's one piece. Uh, but would you agree that this is the start of many civil rights um, that are sort of under the chopping block or on the chopping block uh, with respect to rights to vote, uh, when you talk about contraceptives or co contraception, um, I think something that just passed in the House a few days ago, which it still needs to get to the Senate, um, is um, marrying who you choose, mm -hmm. right? Um, where, where do we go from here? Like, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that even now, as we prepare, we're during a midterm election. Folks ain't even talking about folks that's on the ballot right now. We're jumping to a presidential election. That's a whole mm -hmm. other conversation. Right. But like, what should we be doing? Is it overturned completely? Or is there an opportunity to preserve the access a woman should have, should she choose mm -hmm. to abort or whatever her, yeah. her, her choosing is? Like, is that done? No. So here's the interesting thing. So this past week, we've seen the House of Representatives look to codify some of the longstanding legal precedents that have been settled in this country. That's right. Uh, the, the right to marry who you choose, uh, codifying uh, Roe through uh, legislation and all these other things that the House has looked to take up this past week. But here's the thing. They don't have enough votes in the Senate to fully move to codification. Yep. So what does that speak to? It speaks to the importance of utilizing your voice to vote. It speaks to the importance of understanding, making sure that the people who are representing you, representing your community, are in aligned with your values. Hmm. One of the things that is obviously always say in, in our world of working in politics is that elections have benefits and they have consequences That's right. based upon who you are. Donald Trump was able to put on the Supreme Court three Supreme Court justices for a lifetime appointment, many of whom can serve for 25, 30, 35, maybe even 40 years. On the bench. On the bench. <sighs> uninterrupted. Think about that. Think about all the decisions that's going to go through there. And so it is important and imperative the power of your voice and the power 
of your democratic duty to be able to vote. And so as with anything in public policy, there are winners and losers based upon who you are. Mm -hmm. There are those who are going to sit there and say, you know what? What we've been fighting for to have a president like Donald Trump to be able to put three Supreme Court justices up and led to Roe being overturned is part of the very mission that they were looking to succeed on. And then you have the other side saying, what do we do next? Hmm. So, and, and that's, a, I think that's a great, a great, great segue uh, into like the question at hand, you know, what does the end of row actually mean, right? So it does mean we have to continue to vote, uh, but it also means that abortion will remain legal in, in about half uh, of the states across the country, um, but the rest will probably uh, ban it, right? And then if you dig a little deeper, another question that folks have asked, and I've asked myself, will abortion become illegal everywhere in the U.S.? And the answer is no. Um, individual states, and, and Paul has already mentioned, most states have codified um, many of these, these laws so that they are protected in statute. Uh, individual states will decide whether and when abortions will be legal. So there are a lot of technical sort of responses uh, or answers to many of your questions. And I would encourage you to, uh, like Paul said, number one, educate yourself a little bit on the subject matter, but make sure you are abreast of who's running for office. Most importantly, make sure you participate in this midterm election. Uh, There are a lot of primaries happening in some of y'all, some of y'all states, uh, uh, especially those of you who are in the South uh, and, and also in the Midwest. You know, a number of abortions will probably fall, um, uh, particularly particularly uh, among among poor women uh, in in those places that I've mentioned in the South and, and Midwest. Uh, so anyway, I want you all to be sure to join me on next week. Uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper uh, in this conversation and really back into. Um, hearing from a woman, a person of color, uh, when you begin talking about Roe v. Wade, um, and and not just around sort of the disproportion access to healthcare and uh, you name it, I want to really talk about sort of like their thoughts on this. Is this just a white woman's sort of progressive uh, issue, or is this a woman's issue? Uh, I think it's the latter, uh, but I also want to make sure we're hearing directly from um, a female who could really unpack this particular uh, subject. So anyway, y'all stick stick around, um, keep it locked. Uh, Paul will will continue to be inside the room, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, uh, after the break. We're going to talk about this opinion that Van Jones, y'all know Van Jones, Van Jones, political strategist, you usually see him um, as guest on CNN and other news outlets. Um, I know he is in, uh, he is a CA, CNN, excuse me, host, um, and also the founder and a board member at DreamCorps, uh, which is a national nonprofit organization 
working at the intersection of criminal justice reform and um, environmental work and tech equity and all that good stuff. But anyway, he had a little something to say about what black folks think. Uh, so I kind of want to unpack that and push back a little bit on some of his commentary uh, and then provide you with some facts. But anyway, y'all keep it locked right here on the official FUBU radio. Uh, we're going to jump back right back in, all right? What's going on, y'all? You are back inside the room with Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Uh, and we have our special guest, our co-host, Paul Miles. He is inside the room today. And we've been talking a little bit on uh, women's rights, health, you name it. Uh, and I cannot wait until Dr. Brittany Yancey is inside the room with us on next week. Uh, to unpack this, this whole conversation on women's rights. Um, I, I heard one, one lady say, um, well, I can't say it because my children might get on. Yeah, no, I won't say what she said. But she basically said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. We'll talk about it next week. All right, we'll do that. You, you with me? Okay, cool. So, so anyway, I want to jump into this whole conversation that Van Jones had last week on Thursday on CNN. And if you don't know who Van Jones is, Van Jones is the CNN host. He's also the founder and a board member at DreamCorps, uh, a national nonprofit organization. And in full transparency, I've had the distinct pleasure of working alongside Van Jones a few years back, uh, right before, I wanna say right before the pandemic, about a year or so um, before that. And he came to Connecticut and uh, it was during the time, uh, and I'm still committed to this work, but it was during the time uh, when both he and I and others were able to work on uh, some, some criminal justice reform policy. Uh, and, and it was like a wave of policy uh, recommendations and proposals in General Assembly state legislatures across the country. Uh, and he came to Connecticut uh, with uh, rap artist um, and uh, philanthropist Meek Mill, uh, who did some phenomenal work in the state of Connecticut. Not only did he gift um, hundreds of, of sneakers and all types of stuff, um, we had a really impressive conversation on the importance of, of reforming the criminal justice system uh, and, and also hearing from real people the impacts uh, and the uh, inequities that exist in the political system. Uh, and so anyway, special shout out to Meek uh, Meek, excuse me, and, and Mr. Jones uh, for the work that they're doing in, in the criminal justice reform space. Also, you know, environment, <laughs> uh, that's important as well. Um, but, you know, sometimes we all have to agree to disagree. There are some things that uh, Brother Jones uh, talked about in his opinion as to why Black voters are frustrated with President Biden uh, and even offered what he could do about it to win many of 
Black voters to win them over. And without reading the entire opinion written by Van Jones, I want to give you some snippets and then I want to get a reaction from Paul on exactly what uh, Van Jones was talking about. And I kind of want to put some things into context so you'll understand uh, where, where we're coming from. And so CNN uh, mentioned that this month's poll numbers are finally reflecting the heavy sighs and shrugged shoulders uh, that are evident in Black church pews, nail salons, barbershops across the country. Uh, African-American voters are going through what is described as a season of heartbreak, frustration, and disappointment with the current administration, that's President Biden. According to the CNN poll, uh, and I quote, among people of color, 45% now approve of Biden's overall performance, down from 54% in the spring. That decline includes a six-point dip among Black adults and a nine-point decline among Hispanic adults. A big part of the problem, uh, the article goes on, into saying is soaring inflation. The black community is being absolutely uh, uh, economically a burden bearing the brunt of the soaring gas. Shout out to Connecticut. Uh, our gas prices are going down. But anyway, uh, food and housing prices. Um, it's no wonder the article goes on to say and only 30 34% of Black voters in, in the CNN poll said they approved of Biden handling inflation. Now, of course, whenever inflation is bad, the party in power, which is the Democrats, is going to struggle to contain it. But Black disappointment, uh, the article goes on uh, saying it's deeper than concerns about rising costs. I, I tend to disagree. But anyway, African-Americans came out in big numbers, as we know, in 18 and also in 2020. Yet in 2022, uh, there is a widespread feeling that Democrats have overpromised and under-delivered for Black voters. Now, I'm going to pause here because I got to quickly, quickly insert. I hate, I, I, and hate is a strong word. I really dislike when we sort of blanket commentary uh, without providing some real, like, facts, okay? Um, I am literally, you can Google it yourself. You can go to the White House, whitehouse.gov, and look up the fact sheet as to what the Biden-Harris administration has done to advance equity and opportunity for Black people and communities across the country. For starters, let's talk about economic opportunity for Black families and communities. Right, the historic African, or excuse me, the historic American Rescue Plan (ARP) that was a bipartisan infrastructure uh, law that implemented robust regulatory reform. It provided immediate relief to Black people and families through the American Rescue Fund. It reversed decades of disinvestment through the bipartisan infrastructure law. It leveraged federal procurement to narrow the racial wealth gap for Black entrepreneurs and families. 
It extended a lifeline to struggling small businesses, black homeowners to get full value for their homes, protected black Americans uh, access to housing by combating housing discrimination. I mean, I can go on and on and on as to what uh, this administration has done thus far with respect to advancing uh, equity and opportunity for black folk. Now, I could hear some of y'all now, y'all sitting in the living room or you're in your car like, B, come on now. We, we, you know he can do more. Yeah, he can. Vice President Harris can do the same. But what I am saying is we, we, we cannot just make these blanket sort of comments without providing you all with some facts as it relates to policy that directly impacts or help uh, or let me put it this way, we can benefit from uh, without providing you the information. And so, you know, Van, thank you <laughs> for your commentary. Uh, I think all folks are kind of frustrated with the administration. And this is beyond Biden, by the way. <laughs> this goes back a long time, but I'm not going to go down that history lesson. But Paul, um, Talk a little bit about this. I mean, what's your immediate response to, to this? And before you answer, thank you, President Biden, uh, for your historic uh, $5.8 billion, billion with a B investment uh, in and support of the historically Black colleges and universities. I am a proud alum of the Alabama State University located uh, in the historic Montgomery, Alabama, uh, and we also benefited from this investment. But anyway, Paul, what, I mean, you Trinity alum here. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's gonna, don't, don't go after the next guy's schools. <laughs> oh, no man. Oh, go no, no, let's, let's, I'll take another side uh, on it. I'm not going to say whether or not he's done enough or this and that. I'll just talk about whereas I think it's my expertise in the, especially in the state government in my former life in Congress of how do you get things done and understanding the process. Mm -hmm. The president is the head of the executive branch. That's what he is. Hmm. He's not the head of the legislative branch. He's not the head of the judiciary. He has the bully pulpit. He has the power of his voice, uh, the power to convene. Hmm. So I can understand for many of those in the black community who sit there and say, why, why hasn't the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed? passed? But I can tell you right now, it passed the House. Did it pass the Senate? No. <laughs> Did were there things that the Biden administration have pushed after uh, in response to uh, George Floyd, in response to COVID, in response to how to improve our infrastructure and create jobs for black and brown residents in our, in our country? Many of those items have passed um, a House majority. Yep. But have they passed the, the Senate. Senate to get to the full process where you can sign the bill? No, sir. So here's the thing you have to understand. This is very similar to what Barack Obama faced in his second term, where he had to understand and say, no, what? I can't get things done through a legislative process. What can I do through executive process? Mm, that's a fair point. 
And so I would say that the Biden administration is trying to exhaust all of their abilities through the legislative process, knowing that they will have to then fall back on executive uh, control and, ex and executive authority. But at the same time, to make major changes, you are going to need not just the president, you're going to need these bills to go through Congress mm. and not through what is right now the gridlock that is in Congress. Uh, but I can understand a lot of in individuals asking, where's the real progress for African-Americans? And they have every right to ask that. And I think at the same time, the Biden administration has every right to say, here's what's holding us up. I, and that's a great point. And I, I guess I get overly anxious and it, I, I, I'm brought back to uh, the time, you know, I woke up a day after the election and I was depressed. I remember I was driving to Boston for a conference and, um, and Donald Trump had just become president. Mm -hmm. And I remember leading up to that day saying, oh my God, this man is about to become president. Now, where am I going with this? A lot of the commentary and these types of articles that are being published and opinions, et cetera, I am not saying that we're headed down that path to electing uh, Donald Trump again, should he run? But what I am, sort of flagging and, and sort of raising as a concern is that these types of conversations um, and, and opinions, if you would, it kind of it gives way to this idea that, oh, the, the current administration or, the, or in this case, the Democratic Party mm -hmm. can care less about people or Black folks in particular. And I just think that's farther, farthest from the truth. And I think we also need to do our homework when we begin getting into these types of conversation. And I just want to make sure our listeners understand uh, that not all uh, elected folks are for us, uh, but I'm also reminded that it is somewhat good to know the better of the two evils, if you would. Uh, and to your point, you know, I'm glad you broke it down. Like the president has done everything in his wheelhouse to make change uh, for for people of color, since that's what we're talking about, black people in particular, by utilizing his power, the executive power. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also folks we voted into office who are just there. And I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans. It's fair game when you're inside the room. Now, there's some really great Republicans out there. And there's some horrible Democrats and vice versa, right? And so um, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do with respect uh, to educating our community and helping our folks really understand uh, what's at stake. And I've been taught that all politics uh, is local. And so in saying that, you all have to be sure during this, these upcoming primaries, uh, these general elections that are happening uh, in, in, in a month for primaries and, and I think three months maybe, you know, for general elections, uh, y'all got to be educated on the issues at hand uh, from your 
respective communities. Uh, and so anyway, we're going to continue this conversation, uh, but I did want to just share with you that opinion. Again, you can look that up. It's right there, CNN.com, and you can just type in opinion, uh, and that opinion that was written by Van Jones will be there. Uh, and I'd love to hear your response to this stuff. You know, I'd love to hear um, what, um, what can be done. But I'll end off by saying this. One of the things that... Um, Van mentioned, uh, he said, three things Democrats in particular can do to strengthen uh, the relationships uh, between now and the midterms with Black voters. He said, engage Black media. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, I believe President Obama uh, is credited for literally inviting Black media to the Oval Office um, and, and really bringing them in. Uh, he also mentioned, Van Jones, invest in grassroots. I agree. I agree. And then thirdly, he said capitalize, capitalize on GOP and SCOTUS overreach. Um, and he might have, there might be some truths in that. So anyway, y'all just make sure you are paying attention uh, and you understand what is at risk, my friends. So y'all keep it locked. We got one more segment with my friend. And he's going to take over this last segment because I don't know nothing about sports, y'all. I promise you. So I want him to talk a little bit about what's happening uh, in, in, in the world of sports. I know nothing. I'm still talking about Boston Celtics and Bear, uh, Larry Bird. Uh, so I'm a little dated. Wow. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, um, y'all keep it locked right here on the official FUBU radio, where we will continue uh, to, to dive deep on some of these issues, especially the area of sports. All right, keep it locked. What's going on, y'all? And welcome back to Inside the Room with Brandon McGee and Paul Mounds. Uh, so we're here. We talked a little bit about uh, reproductive rights. We talked about uh, Van Jones. Uh, I feel like Van Jones owed me some money. I've been talking about him all morning. But anyway, we talked about why, from his perspective, uh, Black folks are a little frustrated with the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, but I wanted to end off the segment a little different from how I would normally do things. And I want to talk a little bit about sports. I am not talking about sports, but I'm going to turn it over to my boy, Paul Mounds. Paul, can you, can you take us somewhere? But can you let them know, like, you were an wow. athlete yeah. like 100 years ago? Whoa. <laughs> so let's, let's just, obviously, my, my life is steeped in working in politics, both working from started in a town hall to the state legislature to the halls of congress and now to the, the connecticut state capitol uh, where i serve as the chief of staff for the connecticut governor ned lamont but before that i really learned who i was on the various uh, athletic uh, venues and fields uh, i was lucky enough to serve as a tri-captain so i was an athlete 
I was a captain of both the football, basketball, and baseball teams in high school at the Loomis Chafee School, uh, go Pelicans in Windsor, Connecticut. And then I followed uh, my path academically and athletically to Trinity College, a uh, proud member of the Trinity College football team, where we only lost one game in my four years there, and at one time had the longest uh, win streak overall, no matter which division in all of college football. So sports has meant a lot to me. And I think it's been, I think it's been very interesting where we have gone specifically in sports when I'm going to go focus on college football in particular. There's two major elements that are happening in college football, and it's all driven by one element. Mm. And that element is money. The two elements that are happening is in major college football, which they like to call conference realignment, where and I have no idea what you that have means. no idea what nope. that means. Conference realignment means schools are looking to join bigger conferences to allow them and to allow the conference to tap into larger financial gains through television uh, contracts. We are seeing. Uh, two large entities in Fox Sports and ESPN really guiding the factor of college realignment in terms of schools moving conferences. And we saw that recently with USC and UCLA leaving the Pacific Coast Conference, uh, leaving the Pac-10 to go to, to join the Big Ten, which is historically a Midwest conference. And people will ask, why would they do that? They would do that because they were able to increase the amount of revenue that'll be going to each of their schools. And so now you're seeing now you're seeing <laughs> now you're seeing conferences such as the uh, Southeastern Conference, who then recently have got the commitments of both Oklahoma and Texas to leave the Big Twelve to join their conference to make a real super conference when it comes to football. Because these, all of it, all of it is a driver of money. What is the Big Twelve? The Big Twelve. Oh my goodness! The Big Twelve conference is a conference that's usually historically within the Texas Oklahoma uh, region. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have various teams in it. You also uh, Kansas is also in the Big Twelve, uh, but you have quite a few teams in it. But it has lost its luster as a football conference when you lose Texas and Oklahoma to join the behemoth of the SEC that has Alabama, Auburn, and Florida, and Georgia, and like, schools of the like. Like Alabama State? Not Alabama State. Oh! oh. Alabama State is not in the SEC. Oh! So, so as we're talking, you're sit, I think you're, 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 your fans are saying, what is he talking about? Mm. The nexus of college sports is the student athlete. Mm. So what does this mean for the student athlete? But there's another phenomenon that's happening with the student athlete, and that is called name, image, and likeness, which is called NIL. NIL has really come about because of this, uh, the O'Bannon case versus NCAA when former in, um, UCLA basketball player Ed O'Bannon, who was a Naismith uh, player of the year, once saw himself on a video game in his full likeness and said, why am I not getting paid? 
And then college player, football players. But I thought Joe Madden locked that in. But Joe Madden wasn't an athlete. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so Joe Madden is a baseball coach. John Madden is a football coach who also had a game. Was that his son? No, they're not related. Jeez, man, I can't get. I'm right. Okay, go let ahead. me go back. All right, go. Name, image, and likeness. Uh-huh. It all came out of the Ed O'Bannon case versus the NCAA. Mm-hmm. It also led to the stop of video games such as one of my favorite video games, NCAA football. From no longer being made because of the effects of the those various lawsuits. But what name, image, and likeness, once the NCAA has allowed it, it has basically created a marketplace for players Mm. to basically go to where they can have the greatest financial impact. Case in point, Oklahoma freshman Caleb Williams played very well, was it became a starter. He was a five-star recruit out of high school. He decided to leave Oklahoma, which is a top tier program, and go to where USC and followed his coach, who went from, left from Oklahoma to USC. USC yeah. And why? Because he was going to be able to increase his brand in the market of Los Angeles. That played a big part. We also saw a star wide receiver from Pittsburgh leave Pittsburgh and University of Pittsburgh and go to the West Coast to also do that. We are also seeing schools working with their actual um, boosters and companies and others to be be able to pull funding, to be able to attract student athletes to their university. Mm -hmm. And it is turned into a full on marketplace. And the question that people would need to ask as someone like myself, a former division three player who was focused on his academics also athletics, is where does the academic mission live? Mm. Has the NCAA, have the conferences, have the schools ensured that these student athletes are also becoming true student athletes and not just athlete, athlete? Mm. And so there's going to be a convergence because of the funding and the money that's in college sports, particularly in football, to ensure that is this truly an amateur process is this truly an amateur system and i will say based upon what i've said to your listeners it's no longer an amateur process it is basically led and filled based upon the dollar bill and the franklins and with that this is paul mounds talking about sports (laughs) and giving you a little insight of what i see coming down the line i look forward to seeing my one of my favorite teams, the University of Connecticut Huskies, under the leadership of Coach Jim Mora, who with whom I was on the search committee that identified him. Hmm. Okay. They're gonna open up, which we would like to call week zero against Utah State. And I look forward to UConn really going out there and showing what they have done this spring and this summer to inc- to improve who they are on the field and truly who they improve who they are as student athletes. Okay. Well, so there you go. Listen, that you you have done something that I could never do, and that is literally talk three minutes straight, y'all, about sports. <laughs> I think I've learned so much. So in saying that, um, hopefully, we were able to kind of touch some uh, some folks who uh, are interested in in sports and the history of it and mechanics and all that good stuff. 
Uh, I will be inviting Paul back to talk a little bit about it because I'm sure somebody's going to inbox me and ask me something crazy about sports and I won't have an answer. So anyway, um, special thank you to Paul for being here this morning uh, inside the room with myself, uh, just chopping it up, y'all, talking about some important things, uh, even sports. Um, and as I've always shared with you every single Sunday, um, I want you all not only to just hear what we're talking about, uh, whether it's myself or my guests, um, I want you all to understand the importance of doing something for you. That is, could be something small as checking off the items on your to-do list. Um, I don't know what that is. And I, I shared with you a few weeks back I found myself encouraging so many of you to do something for yourself throughout the week, and I didn't do anything. Uh, so I've been committed to doing something for myself every single week, whether it's being okay, taking a nap, uh, or just kind of chilling, or reading a book, or cleaning, doing something. Um, and so I ask that of you. And until next time, um, as my dear friend and uh, civil rights leader and former presidential nominee, Jesse Jackson would say, y'all keep hope alive. And um, I love y'all and talk to you soon. All right. Y'all keep it locked right here on the official FUBU radio.